Hello, welcome to the Rogo Tours podcast. My name is Chad Durham. My name is Jacob Hampton. And we are doing kind of a, a, a personal uh, little podcast today. I get a little episode, excuse me, um, where Jake and I are going to talk a little bit about like why we love movies, what events in our lives, what memories we have from when we were young have really contributed to our love story with movies that have brought us to this point where we love to sit down and chat with each other and we love for you guys to listen to us talk about how movies have changed our lives. Like, I guess in some ways we're taking like some of those moments you guys heard on the Almost Famous podcast where we were talking, or episode where we were talking about uh, why we loved it and, and why it stuck with us and we're, we're trying to grab a lot of those moments. The moments that when we were young that uh, like, oh man, I remember the first time like I loved, I don't know, cinematography or going to the theater or, you know, who kind of influenced us. So there's going to be a looseness to it, which I mean is pretty par for the course with us. Um, but also kind of us, uh, we wrote down a lot of those seminal moments, right? I mean, and yeah, we'll just kind of go. We'll just go. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> um, but we do want to start with some movies that we've seen. And uh, uh, as always, I'm excited to hear what Jake says about some of these awesome movies that he's seen. So I'm going to let Am you I jump starting? in. Am I starting? Oh, you oh man. All right. Well, I'm going to steal the notes Chad has because my phone died. Let's see. <laughs> uh, okay, movies. I've been seeing them. Uh, <laughs> thanks to my AMC A-list membership. Yeah. At our crappy little local AMC, but I need some form of movie subscription service after the death of MoviePass. Uh but because of that, I have seen a lot of movies. Um, I saw The Sisters Brothers, which was a very, uh, I don't know, I don't think it was super widely advertised, like uh, yeah. not marketed on a huge scale. No. Um, but it's a Western uh, with a great cast. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Riz Ahmed. Um, they're actually more minor characters. The main characters are played by Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of a cat and mouse um, gold prospecting Western. And... I would say uh, it's a solid Western, but it's not, it doesn't transcend the genre. So, like, it's not a movie I'd be recommending to people who normally don't like Westerns. But if you like a good Western, it's a really good one. And we don't get them often. And it's very, it feels very traditional in ways. I feel like that's a genre that's been around long enough that you get a lot of movies trying to subvert it, which is great. But, like, this is pretty much a by-the-book Western. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it just, it does a Everything about it is solid. The performances, the music, it looks nice, but nothing about it is like, you know, on another level. So nice. But definitely check it out if you like westerns. Cool. Um, <clears throat> also, not as funny as I was expecting. The it's the advertising they have done makes it look very comedic, and it's actually not really like it. It, it has its moments, but sure, sure. That just that was, that stood out to me. I guess it was way more dramatic than I expected. Nice. Uh, I also saw the Michael Moore documentary Fahrenheit Eleven Nine. Uh, just kind of went one day, um, and saw it uh, without many expectations. I did. I was under the impression it was a movie kind of about I guess Trump's America. So I was curious, but also like this is gonna be way biased. But uh, it it's actually more just about our like just it's kind of all over the place which i think is one of the main criticisms of it it's just kind of about our country right now and like so trump gets mentioned and talked about and there is some clear bias but uh if you think it looks like a boring like i guess just 
a total one-sided anti-Trump documentary. It's not. It has some really cool coverage of the Flint water crisis and uh, just recent school shootings and just kind of all kinds of things our country's going through. I cried, and I don't really, really cry in documentaries. Yeah. I also... Uh, are you my, have you ever seen Michael Moore documentary before? Uh, no. I think this was my first one. Yeah. So I guess I don't know. I've read a lot about them. Uh-huh. And I used to watch... So he had a TV show in the 90s. Um, I don't even remember what it was called right now. It was after Roger and Me, but before Fahrenheit 911. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should remember the title, but I don't. My mom and I used to watch it. And I really enjoyed it because it just took on relevant things right that's really my only exposure and it was before he was like painted as the kind of a liberal like uh, i mean he was he was liberal but i mean kind of a liberal not champion but like by the other side a liberal nut job right which he's not i don't Mm -hmm. think um like a a zealot i guess is the word i was looking for um, because like, I, I would say I leaned a lot more conservative at that time mm-hmm. and didn't, and was, and like loved to watch kind of him take on these, these topics each week. Nice. Uh, okay. But I haven't seen, I don't think any of the full length documentaries, which is, I should. This was my first one. So, yeah. I mean, it was good. Nice. Um, also watched another documentary, uh, a Hulu original, uh, called Minding the Gap, which I kind of want to say premiered at Sundance earlier this year, but that might be wrong. Uh, anyway, it's about, uh, just Three boys, it follows, it uses footage from the time they're like 15-ish to now, and I think they're in their early 20s. It's made by one of the boys, and uh, just kind of about like masculinity and poverty, and uh, just just follows their lives and like lets the movie speak for itself. I mean, with any documentary, I guess you get a message by what they choose to include, but uh, it's just very free-flowing. And uh, highly emotional. So I recommend it if you have Hulu. And you like documentaries that are about, you know, real people's lives. And I guess what stood out to me is a lot of times when you have movies about, like, you know, these people in this sad situation dealing with this thing, I often feel like, okay, but it's kind of weird because we have this, like, you know, privileged filmmaker coming in and, like, observing it almost like a almost like a zoo in a way, right? And so right. it was cool to have one that's made by one of the subjects, basically. So it's it's like they're telling their story instead of being looked in on right. by, by like, richy rich people. <laughs> um, okay, also saw the remake of Halloween, which is phenomenal for okay. what it is. I mean, it's a remake, right? It's, yeah. it's a Bloomhouse uh, movie, which is, can be hit or miss, right? Um, but it, it's for small scale for sure, but Jamie Lee Curtis is awesome. Judy Greer is awesome. Uh, the music is awesome. Everything about it. Uh, loved it. There are a couple really cool long takes that they do. So even though the season is over, still it's still worth checking out. Have you yes. seen the original? Yes. Okay. It's the only Halloween I've seen. Right. The very And it's original. the only other one I've seen. And from yeah. what I understand, based on my viewing of the movie and hearing people talk, uh, they threw out yeah. the rest of the season. They sequels, threw everything right? else out, including yeah. tongue-in-cheek dialogue. Yeah. That references some of the lesser thought of sequels. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it was it picks up, I guess, based on info from and plot points from the first movie, but now just 40 years later, which is yeah, yeah. crazy. Interesting. Uh, so it's great. If you like horror at all, you have to see this Halloween remake. Um, I had a couple of students, and it's funny because there's there are these three teenage boys, and they quietly started pestering me about how I had to watch this what they thought was, like, incredible movie on Netflix, and they were really embarrassed because it's a rom-com. But uh, it got to the point where I was like, you know what, I got grading to do, but if you guys want to stay after school and force me to watch this movie, we'll make some popcorn, 
and I'll like half watch it while I grade some papers. And so that movie was the Netflix original <laughs> entitled When We First Met, starring Adam Devine or Devine. I've never known. We, we don't know. We don't <laughs> Sorry, speculate. Adam. We just include both names. <laughs> uh, and a bunch of other people I've never heard of. It was uh, very mediocre. They're never yeah. going to listen to this. I told them, it, it was fun. That's all I told them after, is that I thought it was a fun time. <laughs> anyway, just mentioning it because I saw it, and I usually gush about movies on here, and it's fun to kind of... It just was a weird movie where I was like, I seriously can't tell if the people on here, like, the actors, the crew, the director, I cannot tell if they think they're making a good movie, or if, like... It's tongue-in-cheek slash... Lowest common denominator. Slash, yeah, or just like phoning it in, you yeah. know, for to get everyone a paycheck because Netflix offered it or whatever. Right. But uh, it's kind of high concept. It involves time travel and stuff. And so, and so usually with that kind of script, I feel like somewhere along the way, someone probably really thought they were doing something awesome. Right. And so that makes me kind of sad because it just turned out so bland, but whatever. Wah, wah. Don't watch it. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> Um, and, uh, <laughs> I did see mid-90s, though, and I, I am gonna gush about that one. Chad and I talked before we started recording about how, uh, a common thing we've seen people saying about mid-90s is that it, uh, in a way it's all style, no substance, or that it's, it's good at evoking nostalgia or f- feelings of the 90s, but doesn't, uh, actually say anything. Um, I really strongly disagree, so, uh, if you don't know, this is Jonah Hill's directorial debut. He also wrote it, uh, and it's essentially about a kid uh, growing up in the 90s. He's like 12 or 13, and uh, most of the movie takes place pretty, I mean, probably within about, it's not like it's like a boyhood thing, right? It's not like spanning years or anything like that. Uh, it's within a few months, the time span of the movie, and it's just about a kid falling in with a new group of friends and some of the drama that causes uh, with his family life and just uh, with kind of his trajectory as a person. Um, so I would guess the criticism comes from people's, like, the, the ending feels like there's like a major plot point at the end and it doesn't necessarily feel like that plot point has like a moral or a message to give. And it, I don't want to spoil, so if you see the movie, you'll know what I mean. But uh, it... It's throughout, I think the, the the thing that might not be connecting with some people is, I feel like the theme is delivered slowly throughout the movie, rather than like, through an end scene that kind of like punctuates the movie or anything like that. But uh, at least from like a, a high school teacher perspective, it uh, was very insightful to me just to see, you know, uh, kind of like I mentioned with Minding the Gap, like, uh, what's expected of of teenage boys right like what's okay for them to do in their all-male friend groups and what's considered you know gay or too feminine and uh what do we expect of teenagers as far as like how do we measure their success and uh versus how they measure their success there are some interesting conversations the kids have about what they want to do with their lives and how they think each other's ideas are stupid or like you know, you're not smart enough to do that, or you're an idiot, you're not, like, making the right decisions to be able to pursue that dream that you have, or you can't make money doing that thing you want to do, and so, uh, for me, there was tons of theme, but it was just scattered throughout in these kind of isolated conversations, and I guess maybe, I don't know, we, we like our theme to be handed to us (laughs) on a platter, right, so, uh, at the, in, like, the last scene of a movie, which this doesn't necessarily do, and there's some nice stuff with, like, friends are there no matter what but uh i'm gonna yeah totally rail against the people saying there's nothing there <laughs> and that is it and, and what's interesting to me is it's not even like it didn't even really need to take place in the 90s like there's like a 
four by three, I guess, aspect ratio and, uh, like the technology and like sets are accurate to the nineties, but it's not, it definitely does not cash in on nineties, like specific nostalgia, pop culture. Yeah. Anything like that. It it totally just isolates these kids. He was probably a teenager in the nineties, right? Yeah. That's, that's probably like, I'm not, I'm yeah, I'm not trying to state something obvious, but that's probably why he ended up doing that. Sure. I guess so. Kind of the opposite of like eighth grade right where Bo Burnham yeah. wrote this movie that takes place now and like tried to understand the kids of now yeah, yeah. but I guess Jonah Hill was like no I'm gonna write what I know yeah from maybe the, you know right? maybe because I, I mean I guess you do kind of ha- like you had you'd have to consider technology and things like that for this story that he wanted to tell so if he wanted to keep that out then I guess yeah maybe. that's why we have mid-90s so quick question and it, mm-hmm. it's somewhat I guess it's some a somewhat weird question because it is uh, on one hand apples and oranges you have a much bigger movie, one that's much more in awards consideration than this, which is much smaller. But if you were to call a winner, if you had to, between Bradley Cooper's directorial debut, mm-hmm. A Star is Born, and Jonah Hill's mid-90s, very different movies, so I understand yeah. if you're like, well, no, I'm not even going to pit them. Why would I compete these movies? But who would you kind of give the nod to as far as a more sure debut? Sure. I mean, I I liked A Star Is Born more overall. Like you said, apples and oranges. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. As far as interesting, I'm being unfair in some ways, but I was curious. What no, you that's a good question, because we have you know actors turned directors, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I uh, I think Jonah Hill makes some more interesting artistic choices with his direction. Sure. Like with the aspect ratio I mentioned, or uh, there are definitely some interesting editing choices and things like that that I imagine he was part of. The like that seemed like they would have been director's choice. Uh, definitely an artistic movie that way, whereas A Star Is Born is more like... I mean, it's definitely... There's artistic flair, but it's more, I guess, solid and grounded, but mid-90s is a little out there with yeah, it. And yeah. so uh, I'd probably give it to Jonah just because, nice. as I mentioned before, I, I get one over by unique stylization yeah, choices. For sure, me so, too. Nice. Yeah. Cool. All right, a few that I saw, and I, as usual, Jake has been to the movies a lot more than I have. Um, so a lot of mine are, I saw on DVD or Blu-ray. I did see, and if I, if I talked about this on a previous episode, <laughs> you just have to forgive me. I don't think I did. And, and it was a small, uh, we Instagrammed and stuff. This is a, a movie that I saw with my girls, my kids, um, at, which was a, the house with a clock in its walls. And the reason that I mention is because Eli Roth directed it. He directed like Hostel and some other stuff like that. And it has Jack Black and Kate Blanchett. Um, so some pretty big actors uh, and actresses. It also has the kid from mid nineties. Oh, it uh, does. Yeah, he plays what? like one of yeah. That's insane. I forgot when you were bringing it up. I was like, oh, I should mention this. That's so weird. He is the uh, there. There's a main. The main character is like this little boy who's probably like I don't know fourteen or so. I don't remember his age in a house in, with a clock in its walls. But he has a friend who's kind of like a fake friend played by the kid from uh... mid nineties. Anyway, uh, House with the Clock as well, not a great movie, if, if we're being honest, but Jack Black's really fun, okay. and Kate Blanchett's always good. So if you're someone who's like, hey, I want to see something with my kids, and I enjoy Jack Black, or I appreciate Kate Blanchett, I'd see it. Besides that, it's, I mean, I wish it were better. There are moments where you can see like maybe a better movie like Struggling to Get Out. It's based on a book, right? Um, and I think they stay true to that. And Eli Roth does some interesting stuff, generally speaking. But ultimately, it's kind of inert. Like it, it feels like it never quite blossoms in a way that's that's kind of cool. Uh, that's sad. Yeah, but I mean, I, like I enjoyed it, sure. and and 
my daughter who's 11, she really, she especially liked it. My daughter who's five got a little scared. There were a couple pretty scary parts. She actually started to cry. Really? And uh, I was like, Avery, we only have like 30 minutes left. Like you gotta try to make it through. And she calmed down and she was okay, but it got a little bit scary. Nice. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Just like, I don't know, just like, maybe it's not a trend, maybe I've just noticed it more, but like, I guess I'm, I haven't seen it. I'm filing that one away with like, what I see happen kind of frequently, which is just like, fantasy book adaptations that get like mediocre reviews and then nobody sees them and then they go away and it's like yeah sad yeah and i mean and it was again there was some fun stuff Mm -hmm. definitely some fun stuff but a lot of times i felt like oh we're almost there like uh, a few tweaks and i don't even know what those tweaks were mostly story tweaks Mm -hmm. like the end the climax is ineffective in a lot of ways um that's the only thing i think i've seen in the theaters i probably forgot something like normal um, finally saw Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary, which uh, for me was fantastic. Speaking of documentaries, not usually making me cry. Mm-hmm. I definitely cried in that. And I, uh, uh, maybe one of my favorites of the year. Like I was, I was a big, just period. Uh, glad I finally saw it. I saw Skyscraper, which some of you saw me Instagram oh, yeah. about, because it is kind of a, a, this is a really mean way to say it. And I don't mean it in the way it sounds, but it is a trash movie and that it's meant to be a specific kind of thing. But as I wrote on Instagram, like I, I sometimes dig movies that don't try to be more than sure. they are. Like, because you get caught in the middle if you do that in some ways. Like you're really trying to transcend, but you don't quite get there. That's more disappointing to me, I guess, than a movie that's just like, nah, we're we're 2018 semi-family movie diehard. You sure. know what I mean? And that's just what we're gonna do. But one really strange thing. Early on, I was like, in the very beginning scene, I was like, wow, that's kind of a cool shot. And there were multiple of those. <laughs> and it was shot by Robert Elswit, who won an Oscar for There Will Be Blood. <laughs> yeah. So I waited in the credits. We were just watching it at home. And I was just like, I want to see who the cinematographers, because it wasn't like gorgeous, beautiful, just amazing, because it's just not that kind of movie. But there are multiple times where you're like, oh, that's a cool shot. Like kind of a long tracking shot or an interesting way of showing you something. To the point that I was like, first of all, I said cool shot early on. To the point that I was like, this is probably like an okay cinematographer. And I was like, Robert Elswit, what the heck? Who who won an Oscar for There Will Be Blood, yeah. So, I mean, like, cool. Cool, but why didn't There Will Be Blood? He's slumming it a little bit, I guess. But like at the same time, like, even though it didn't elevate Skyscraper, like, oh my gosh, you got to see the cinematography. Like, it gave it, like, maybe a little bit of cred that it wouldn't have had. Sure. Um, don't, don't run out and see Skyscraper, but if you're like a, a The Rock fan or you like action movies that are just meant to mindlessly entertain you for a little while, like, and I know it, uh, Jake earlier said fun, you know, it was fun. And we use that sometimes as a euphemism for mm-hmm. it wasn't very good, mm-hmm. but Skyscraper is fun <laughs> and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And, and you know, that, that's all I can say. Like I wasn't even planning, I was planning to fall asleep during it. And I didn't, and it wasn't even conscious. I was just wanting to know what happened, you know. And Neff Campbell's in it, so it was like, oh, oh. the nineties are back. Yeah, they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nice. So that was fun. Um, and then finally, I saw Thoroughbreds. Yeah. Which Jake was talking about. He got to see in the theaters, um, and it's. I mean, it's a very specific kind of movie. It's an indie. It's kind of. Um, Dark-hearted, which I'm oh, fine yeah. with. Very dark comedy. Um, yeah, very dark comedy. Some stuff that's pretty funny that you know you feel bad for laughing at, of course. One thing that was interesting is it has Anya Taylor-Joy and Olivia Cook, and Anya Taylor-Joy's from like Split and The Witch, 
and Olivia Cooks from Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Mm-hmm. And the roles they play, like if you had just put their names on paper, I would have totally switched the roles completely, except for what they need Anya Taylor-Joy to do in the movie. Like she has a little more of like an arc, I guess. That's true. And so at the end, I was like, oh, I see what you were doing here. You needed her to end up in the place I expected her to be at the beginning. Um, good. I, I was mini underwhelmed by the end. Okay. But at the same time, I didn't fault what they were doing. I liked that it, it went a place I didn't expect. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I guess I wanted to be a little more like um, electrified by the end. Mm-hmm. Like by what they chose to, to, by the conclusion, I wanted to be like, oh, dang. And instead I was like, oh, okay, I see how you went a different place than I expected. Yeah. It also has Anton Yelchin in one of his last it movies. Does. Which I forgot to mention. He's very good. Yeah. In it, I thought. He is. They're both good, too. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of Olivia Cook and Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, but if you like some dark comedy um, and some kind of interesting rhythms, like the director did some interesting stuff oh, just generally with tone, it's just, with yeah. the way they use it's, uh, music, um, where, I mean, there's a lot of um, scenes where the music is playing in a way where you expect something totally different to be going on mm-hmm. in the scene. Um, and it just keeps doing that. It's and you're just kind of like, I'm uncomfortable, but uncomfortable in the way you're supposed to be uncomfortable. If that's not the right word, I'm thrown off yeah. by what they're doing. And yet it's making me pay attention more. It's making me think more. So it's yeah, just, it's definitely so, worth watching. Yeah. It's like the tone. I want to find just the right word for it and I can't, but it's like sassy. I don't know. Yeah. But like. It's and, a, it's has kind of a little bit of like a Heather's vibe as far as just like the the comedy style, but yeah, it's so good. The sassiness, a lot of it comes from Anya Anya Taylor Joy mm-hmm. to her performance. Yeah. She's very good, and and it, uh, like it's like Olivia Cook is like this very she struggles with feeling emotions, <laughs> and then Anya Taylor Joy is like seemingly this perfect rich girl, which they they explode that pretty quickly. Yeah. but I mean in the first five minutes. She's supposedly this, you know, seemingly perfect rich girl. And just their their kind of combination is combustible in a lot of ways. Um, anyway, yeah. Def, uh, uh, definitely off the beaten path, but uh, worth watching. Yeah. Yes. Alrighty, yeah. So this, I mean, this has the potential. I have a ton of notes. This, this, this episode we're about to do right now. Um, because we didn't really box ourselves in in the way we might normally do, which I'm totally cool with. Yeah. Um, and I know I have, I mean, I didn't count them, but I have like 20 things on here that I want to at least give a mention to. And and Jake and I are hoping to kind of just go back and forth a little bit. I'm like, hey, say some things about your first movie experiences. I'll say some things and we'll just kind of, when one of us talks for a while, we'll just jump to the other person or whatever. Um, this is one where, you know, we know we don't get a lot of feedback from you listeners out there, but man, it'd be cool if you were willing to share some of your seminal moments and stuff, you know, via Facebook or Twitter or on SoundCloud or, you know, whatever, um, to tell us some of the, the things that have really been cool in your lives. And, and I know some of mine are like pretty like, this is one of the reasons I love movies. And others are just these moments of like, cool centered entertainment synergy right. that I just wanted to mention uh, because I still I, I have I have I have diagnosed myself with a really terrible memory and I've said this many times on the podcast but a lot of these moments I have some snatches of memory that are some of the only memories I have from these time periods even if it's just a moment you know that I can still see in my mind's eye 
Um, and so I tried to, I tried to give a shout out to a lot of those, a lot of those moments. Do you, I mean, do you feel comfortable just starting off with yeah, some stuff? Yeah, we just like dive in. Yeah, go I for mean, it. I think we're both kind of planning on talking somewhat chronologically. Just yeah. About, like, I guess my comments and stories will be kind of focused on the way uh, that like, what movies are to me, how that has evolved over the years, I guess. So, uh... If we if we go back to the beginning, um, <laughs> now growing up, uh, I mean, so I don't. Necess- it's not. I I mean, I doubt there are many people out there that have like. A, I remember my the first movie I ever saw. Maybe you do, but I, don't. I, I sure don't. My my childhood experience with movies was probably a pretty common one, meaning a lot of animation and uh, probably a lot of repetition when I was really young. Right, of watching my favorite movies over and over. Um, so I don't necessarily have like. Um, Things don't get interesting with specific movies until I was probably 11 or 12, so we'll get there. But I did just want to talk about how I, I have always had a love for movies, and, you know, that love has evolved in, in different ways. But uh, I, I've i always, I mean, I love a good story, right? And uh, movies tell stories. I think that's why most people like them. And uh, I've just always appreciated, I guess, the uh, just having movies on at home. Like, I have a strong nostalgia factor with the idea that there's just kind of there's a screen and there's like a sort a story unfolding in your house like I've just always loved that but in whatever context it is whether it's you know like the family's making dinner but the tv's on and a movie's playing or like uh you know or like sleepovers with friends when I was little we put on a movie and fall asleep to it it's just always been a comforting thing to me to like have a movie going so there's that, and then there, of course, there's the, the the theater experience, which I've always loved as well, which is its own thing. But I have lots of fond memories of going to movies as families, you know, on holidays or whatever. I guess sorry, theater employees across America that we <laughs> contributed to you having to work on holidays. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, spending time as a family, and my dad's always been a popcorn addict, so I've always loved. Uh, so he'd always buy us a big thing of popcorn, and uh, I've just always been completely enamored with that that idea of, you know, you're going to sit in a room with strangers and you're going to all watch the same thing unfold. You're going to laugh uh, out loud when something makes you laugh out loud. You're going to cry in public if that makes, if it makes you do that. And uh, it's just such an experience. So I've always, I've always been in both the theater and at home completely, um, completely in love with movies, really. So nice. that's, that's kind of my childhood with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jake brought up something I didn't include, which is sleepovers. I remember watching, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at a, a sleepover. It may have just been a sleepover like with me and a friend. Maybe Shelton Diggs or maybe Owen Hemseth, two people who I sometimes spent the night at their houses, I think. my Again, my memory's terrible. But I remember watching Ninja Rap by uh, Vanilla Ice. I don't know if you've ever seen those <laughs> no. movies. I remember being... I can see the room in my head, but I can't remember whose room it is. Not my room. So it was when I was at someone else's house and we were staying up late and watching uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, there was a, a drive-in theater right by my house. I'm a little bit older than, than Jake. And there was a drive-in theater right by my house, and I have some memories of going there, and I loved that. I wish... There's one around here where we live, and I've never been to it. I think it's still open. We checked a couple years ago when we were thinking about going, mm-hmm. whenever Maleficent was out, so it's been a few years. <laughs> yeah, I know, years. That was the last time I remember us going, hey, we should go see a movie, and it just so happened Maleficent was there. But I remember the drive theater, we went to see, it was usually a double feature and the first one was kid oriented and the second one wasn't. That's at least what I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember one of the movies we were there for was Funny Farm with Chevy Chase, really old movie, late 80s I think. And what I remember too is we get we would like put the seats down and usually I'd fall asleep. Um, 
but just that memory, man, of the magic of what it was. We're driving to the theater, and you hung the little thing in your... Have you been to drive-in? Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I used to I, go to my little... I figured. I'm, I figured. I'm, you're actually bringing memories back. I remember yeah. seeing Inspector Gadget oh, in, nice. a, in a drive-in theater. Yeah. I didn't mean to condescend, but I know not everyone's been oh, to a drive-in theater. And they're theater increasingly yet. rare, obviously. And much so. less, yeah. And just putting the thing, and you had to tune, 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 mm-hmm. turn to the radio... Ha! Tune to the correct radio station um, in order to hear the sound. But just the fact that you were in your car watching a movie was, was pretty magical to a young, a young kid. Um, I have this memory of going to see Sleeping Beauty with my family when we were young, and we were late. And I remember that devastating me. Like, I hope, hopefully that doesn't, like, uh, make my mom sad if she listens to this. Like, I was doing my best or whatever. But I remember us having to, like, climb over some people to get to our seats. I don't remember anything else. But I remember that moment where we were, like, climbing over. And I remember just thinking, like, the movie's already started. This experience is not right, you know? Which has contributed to my kind of, uh, you know, a snobbery, I guess, if you will. And I always like to get there pretty early. I hate running in. Oh, I don't like coming in while the previews are on. Although no. I'll do it. And I, and I know that, that at least that helps me, you know, not miss the movie. Glad that we've expanded previews. So if I am late, I don't miss the movie. Um, but yeah, I don't like, I mean, I don't like to be late to anything anyway. But I really don't like to be late to a movie. Um, and then a couple, I'm, I'm going to say a few more things than, than Jay. How far did you go up, would you say? When are you going to pick back up? Like, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to fast forward to when I was 11 or 12. So. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm moving about there. I'll say a few things okay. and then you can jump in with your 11 or 12. Because I'm, I'm going about there too. Um, I remember two movies I saw with my dad. And it's, it's funny because Chase, my son, is kind of in this mode now too. Um, my brother and I, my brother Ethan and I want to go see Creed too. We were like the first Creed. And my wife suggested like, hey, you should bring Chase, my son, who's 13. I was like, oh yeah. And he's been like, oh, are we going to go see Creed too? And I remember some of those experiences with my dad. We used to do um, dates, quote unquote, right. with our parents. Yeah. You know, so, you know, one week it was two of the kids. One had mom, one had dad. Then the next week it was two of the other kids. One had mom, one had dad. Then when it came back to your turn, you were with the opposite parent. Nice. And my dad and I went and saw Sneakers, which is still one of my very favorite movies. And what I remember is that my dad really wanted to see it. And I didn't really know a lot about it because this was still early-ish in my kind of a fledgling movie movie fan. Um, and I was, I loved it, right? I was just so engaged and it was, it, 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 it felt not adult yet because there's a different movie I'm going to talk about. That was the first time I really felt like I was seeing an adult movie, not that kind of adult movie, guys. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Get your minds out of the gutter. Um, but, uh, yeah, so my dad had taken, taken me before that to Dances with Wolves. Oh, nice. And I, like, fell asleep, you know, like, an hour in. It's really long. And for a young kid like me, a little slow. I've watched it again recently. And, like, of course, like, but I remember, like, whoa, I'm in this theater with my dad. And I think he, it was probably one of those things where he was just like, I'll take Chad if that helps, you know, type of thing with, with, because my mom wasn't there. Um, anyway, Sneakers and Dances with Wolves, I remember as being the first time I, I like was conscious and like my dad and I are going to see something together and movies mean something. And then shortly thereafter, my dad introduced me to The Sting, which I still consider my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, there's a poster up. Jake just pointed to it in the room we're in right now. Uh, the Sting. Uh, and I've mentioned it a lot, so I don't need to go too far into it. But um, the magic of movies at that moment was like, oh, this is what it means to be completely engaged and finish a movie and be delighted. 
That was the, you know, I felt that. And oh, those three things all happened around when I first started watching the Oscars. When I first started, because I was pretty young and my parents would watch the Oscars. Like I still remember Silence of the Lambs Oscars and Dances with Wolves Oscars. Um, so I was 10, 11, 12 when I started watching the Oscars. And those other movie experiences started making me like, oh, I would read about, you know, what movie was supposed to win. Even if I hadn't seen them, you know, I didn't, I didn't watch rated R movies and I was a young kid. But I'd still like, oh, it's supposed to be this movie, you know? So then I'd watch as it won all the awards and be like, I knew it, you know? Like I read about these things. And, uh, and those three movies with my dad really kind of did that. It's funny because like my mom is the one to see more movies now. And my mom is the one who took us to Sleeping Beauty. And my mom is big into pop culture and my dad less so. But a couple of most of those seminal moments right there were going to movies with my dad. I think that's just a coincidence. But oh. he probably doesn't even know because now he'd be like, oh, that movie's so dumb or whatever. Like my dad is <laughs> he's a little more crotchety about movies now. <laughs> um, so he probably, I don't even know if he remembers going to see these. Um, but they, they informed my interpretation of movies as a, a medium that transcended entertainment. Uh, even, I mean, Dances with Wolves, obviously I missed out on most of that experience, but at the beginning I was kind of like, whoa, this is like real, this is a real movie that I'm watching, you yeah. know? This is one a lot of adults are going to and saying is really good and learning things from, you know, before I fell asleep. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, jump, jump back. I'll jump into my first uh, adult feeling movie in a minute. And my, my chronology is about right, you know, some of it's kind of off, but. Right, Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in when I was in sixth grade. So I guess I would have been 11. Uh, my sixth grade teacher was called Mr. Salmon, uh, like the fish. Shout out Mr. Salmon. <laughs> if you're out there, if you've somehow discovered this podcast. Oh, that uh, would be amazing. Please would be. comment Mr. Salmon. <laughs> uh, and Adam Devine Devine, how do you pronounce your last name? Okay. Yeah. He was a huge influence on me as a person. Like, I, I seriously, like, I worshipped this teacher. He, I thought he was the funniest person on the planet. Uh, he's actually the reason I ever started watching the TV show Lost. Like, like years later, I started watching Lost because I remembered him raving about it. Uh, and so he also, like, he would just do this thing where he would just, for some reason, like, tell us, like, the stories of movies and TV shows he had been watching. <laughs> Don't ask me why. But uh, it, and, worked. it worked. It worked, Mr. Simon. Um, and so at one point, uh, he told us about the, am I getting, yes, the year has to be right. Uh, he told us about the movie Science. So the M. Night Shyamalan alien movie, right? Yeah. And, uh, so that must have just come out, um, when I was in sixth grade. Uh, and he, uh, he told us some of his favorite parts of it. He described the scary moments to us. And I remember getting chills just hearing his descriptions of, of some of the uh, more intense scenes. And so I was like, I got to watch this alien movie, Science. It sounds so scary. So I, uh, you know, convinced my parents to let me watch it on DVD or whatever and super loved it. So I, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of this in retrospect, but I like got, you know, into a director when I was 11 years old, but yeah. I was like, who is this M. Night Shyamalan? So uh, I learned that, uh, and and I think Mr. Salmon helped explain that, like, you know, the the director's responsible for the way the movie turns out, and uh, he mentioned, I think he mentioned this M. Night Shyamalan guy's been starting to get known for, like, twists in his movies. Um, and so uh, I, I watched Signs, loved it, and um, wanted to watch more of this guy's movies. So, like, you know, I... Uh, shortly after that i i might be getting the timeline wrong but somewhere in that time period the village was coming out and 
I, I think I mentioned this on previous podcasts, but, like, my parents were worried about me seeing it and being too scared, so they told me the entire plot, spoilers and all, before <laughs> letting me see it, but I, I still loved the movie and love it to this day. Um, I, went, I eventually went back and watched The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, and I, uh, even though I might have been, I don't know, I mean, M. Night, he, he was known for twists at that point, even yeah. if he wasn't writing the scripts, I don't, do you know, did he write a lot of his earlier movies? Yeah, yeah, he wrote like, he? all of them. Okay, then he was up, responsible for Up until... Avatar, I think. I, okay. No, he wrote that too. Up until After Earth, maybe? Okay. And he, he helped with that one. I'm sure I did know that back when we did the M. Night podcast. I just forgot if he also oh, wrote yeah. Shout movies, out to the M. Night podcast. Go listen. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode. Yeah. yeah, the episode. We do script and fold these references in on purpose. So <laughs> you'll, you'll check out our other episodes. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I was totally into M. Night. And uh, to me, that was just a, a really important gateway into being like, Okay, there I can you know spot connections between like you know someone being responsible for these different movies that I like. They have something in common. Yeah. Um, so I mean that's my eleven twelve era. I can get. In, do you want to talk about stuff from then before I get into like teenage years? Well, all I want to I guess all I want to say. Well, I guess I'll t- touch on my uh, that quote unquote adult movie, but um, uh, I was just want to mention my son. So my son Chase, uh, who was on our uh, Christmas movie episode if you want to go listen to that <laughs> um he watched Sixth Sense recently and I think I mentioned that but he is wanting to watch all the other M. Night ones nice. I was just noting the connection because yeah. we had he hasn't watched any of the other ones yet um and that's mostly me because I'm like I don't know about Unbreakable yet Chase and stuff like that but the Sixth Sense for him was like oh wow like that's you know kind of the same thing for right. me right blew his mind I do want to actually before uh we go on I want to include that like this is a well one way that I'm like uh, completely the opposite now. But I was huge on. I was actually kind of. I still acted like a very little kid in this way with the M Night movies. But I was huge on repetition with movies at this stage. So yeah. like, I think literally almost every Sunday night, I would I would just rotate through M Night's movies basically and like watch one of his movies every Sunday night. So like honestly, I probably racked up a total viewing of like at least. 15 or 20 times oh, of wow. each of his first few movies. Like, I have seen them so many times. I don't remember if you said that I don't think I, I should have. I don't think I did. Yeah. But that was, like, for a while, like, those were basically the only movies I would watch. And now, I'll talk about this later, it's like, I'm kind of hard-pressed to rewatch a movie. I'm like, I better have a good reason to yeah. rewatch a movie I've already seen instead of see a new one. But anyway, just kind of worth mentioning, I guess, that, like, not only did I watch the movies and love them, but it was, like... I'm gonna oh, like I wanted to analyze them right. I wanted yeah. to catch new things because since the twists were big things, I wanted to look for hints and yeah. Uh, so I I rewatched those over and over. That's awesome. Uh, mine, I guess this one is from. I think this movie came out '94, so I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But even though I'd seen Sneakers and Dances with Wolves and The Sting at this point, and I watched the Oscars and stuff, the first time I remember sitting in a movie and feeling like this is a movie for adults that I am understanding and being engaged in to a full extent, was Forrest Gump. Oh. And I think a lot of it is because there was, like, um, for a young person, and I, I lived a pretty naive, you know, because of various things. Sure. One, well, it's um, kind of a strong PG-13. Religious influences and such. I lived a pretty naive life, and it's a pretty strong PG-13, like yeah. like Jake just said. Um, I think that's part of it, is, one, it's, it's adult-themed as far as it's about, you know, I mean, like, she gets HIV, and, spoiler alert, sorry, um, 
and war and people losing legs and stuff like that. But there's also some like sexual content, yeah. not not overly crazy, but for a sheltered 14-year-old. And I saw it with my friend John Henderson and his dad. And I I felt like yes, I am growing up like in a weird way. And this is one I can remember sitting, I remember a specific scene from it and sitting there and just feeling like, "Oh wow, like I am graduating in movie watching, you know what I mean? I, you know, again, I'd seen these other things. It's not like it was the first movie to have semi-inappropriate content, but it was the first, it was critically acclaimed, strong PG-13, solid music, good cinematography, um, a, a, in a, a, a kind of a deep message. And I, I mean, I know people make fun of Forrest Gump a little bit now, and I happen to still be a defender, maybe not a staunch defender, but there's a lot I like in Forrest Gump. And I know there's some simplicity there. Like, I know. You mean it won Best Picture, didn't it? So. It did. And a lot of people hate that. Yeah. Like, they bring up all the other movies like Pulp Fiction that were nominated that right. year and stuff. Um, but but uh, the combination of the movies I mentioned before, the Oscar viewing and the appreciation of the art that went into it, and then seeing Forrest Gump and finally seeing all those things connect... Um, was it pretty transformative for me? Uh, I, I, like I said, I still remember sitting there and, and maybe strong, maybe here, the most important moment for me as, uh, someone who ended up really thinking that, you know, film is, is something to teach you film is something to change your life and get you to change perspectives was realizing how all of those things that led up to that point made me appreciate Forrest Gump in that moment. Feel like I was older, feel like maybe I shouldn't be watching this movie, but then also being like, but that's not all I'm taking away. Yeah. It's, it wasn't the scandal that I left with of like, oh wow, you, you know, you kind of see this, you kind of see that, or, or, oh, I don't understand how sex works or whatever. Like I'm not, not to get too inappropriate or whatever on our family, on our family uh, friendly podcast. But, but that's not what I took away when the movie was over. And that was important. It's like, scandal, oh, I probably shouldn't be watching it. But then when it was over, like, oh, wow, I, I like, learned something about humanity. And like, yeah. I, I cared about these characters on a level outside of like, how entertaining that Like, was. it's not smut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you said, putting that into words, like, also, that wasn't what this was about, you mm -hmm. know? And, and I don't feel like those things were there to get people to watch it. They were there to be realistic. They were there to tell a story. And maybe, maybe I didn't fully understand that before Forrest Gump, yeah. Nice. Okay. So we're moving into teen years then? Sure, sure. Why not? Sure. Yeah. Why not? All right. So let's move past when I was, you know, being a very creepy preteen hiding in my parents' basement <laughs> watching M. Night movies. It wasn't creepy until now. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> creepy because I just watch the same movies every over and over, usually at night. But uh, And by myself is what I'm getting at. So I want to talk about how it, throughout my teen years, movies became a very social ex experience for me because when I first discovered this, uh, you know, love for the M. Night movies, it was like, I mean, I probably like wanted to show them to my friends and stuff, but I think overall it was very much about me just like watching this movie and appreciating it myself. So, uh, but, uh, as I got into my teenage years, you know, hanging out on weekends became a very, you know, important thing that my world kind of revolved around. And, uh, so I loved having people over for movies or watching movies in a group at someone else's house. Um, and so I kind of, I mean, unofficially, but throughout my teen years with 
and you know, you go through different friend groups as you go through junior high and high school, but uh, definitely kind of had an, an unofficial tradition of watching a movie every Friday night uh, with whoever my closest friends were at the time. Um, so uh, I think during through that tradition, I discovered, like with some, actually with some kids in uh, our, our home neighborhood, um, shout out to like Hayden and McKay. Um, shout out Hayden McKay. Yeah, but we would, we kind of had this like phase. Hayden probably, just got married. Congrats. Yeah, Hayden. congrats. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, we had this phase where I feel like for a while, it was probably at least a good year or so, we were just like, we'd go to Harmon's, where they had a video store section at the time. Shout uh, out to like, however many years ago. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, a, or I guess a video rental, or, or I mean, they probably had VHS and DVD. But, um, shout out to VHS. Shout out to VHS. <laughs> but uh, we would just pick random, whatever PG-13 horror movie looked most interesting to us. So, I mean... There were a lot of mediocre paranormal thrillers. Um, So we watched a lot of those, but like those were great times. And because a lot of those movies were mediocre, I think I also discovered a new love of like laughing at not great movies and having that be kind of a community experience. Um, We also definitely watched as many of them as we possibly could with content level and parent permission. Uh, we would watch as many like spoof movies as we could. And that was when the craze was happening of where they were like. Yeah, scary movie, movie was successful, stuff? and so then they were like, "We're gonna make date movie. We're gonna make oh, yeah. teen movie. I teen, think. Uh, not, not another teen, teen movie. movie. Yeah, uh, epic movie was about like the whole like fantasy craze, I guess. Yeah. And just like they made them for every genre you can think of. People know that, right? And so we would watch as many of those as we could that were rated PG thirteen. Uh, but I loved the weekly tradition of like we're gonna get together, we're gonna either laugh or scream at some movie that uh, is in front of us. Um, and so, the, and that also, but just watching all those w- movies helped me kind of discover my love for horror, um, which I, I've mentioned many times before on the podcast, but I, I definitely love that, that vibe of like, you know, we're going to turn out all the lights, it's late on a weekend night, or we're going to put on this, this scary movie and, and see if it gets to us. So. Well, and I need, uh, this is perfect this is going to mess with the chrono- chronology a little bit, but, um. I had a friend, I think I was 16. I could have been younger. But, okay, no, I need to back up a step. Because I didn't watch Reddit R movies, but I really felt like I want to watch all these, like, movies that, like, people are talking about or that are getting the cred. I mentioned before, and I, but I still wanted to give one quick mention to Siskel and Ebert. Mentioned a lot on the podcast. But I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid. Right around this time when I was like, Forrest Gump. And, you know, before that, Dances with Wolves. And this idea that they were kind of explaining to me, even if I couldn't see these movies, I was understanding them, even if I never saw them. There's probably some I, I watched this Gunnibert talk about that I've long since forgotten. But at the time, like, ooh, fascinating, like, as they talked about why. Um, so in, in, I wanted to see these movies. So when, uh, back in the day especially, and I know this still happens now, but even more so when, when rated R movies were on national TV, They'd be edited. Right. And this, these moments were huge for me. It's like, oh, this movie's finally on. I would get the TV guide my parents got, and I would flip through at the beginning of the week and look for these movies. Sometimes I'd even look up a specific movie that I knew was like coming around to TV time. And so I'd go to the like glossary that they had or the index which they had and whatever TV guide we had like of movies that were on. And I'd go like, oh, no, like it's not on this week or whatever. So national TV for this kind of naive, non-rated R watching kid, me, was big. Right. And I remember so many moments of like, oh my gosh, this is on. None bigger 
than when The Silence of the Lambs Ooh. was on national TV to go with your horror in the dark. And I, as you know from our previous episodes, am not into horror very much. Uh, go shout out to the horror podcast. Go, go, go listen. listen. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I had had a friend tell me about The Silence of the Lambs. Of course, it had won Oscars. And it was a shock because no horror movie, quote unquote, had won Oscars before. Um, or not very often. And it won Best Picture. It won the, the what's, what do you call a trifecta with four? The quadfecta. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's not a real thing. We're coining the term. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so few movies had won. Uh, it's actually maybe even all five. Actor, actress, screenplay, picture. Oh, no, just those four. Okay. Um, and it won all four. And so it was this huge deal. And, and, and this random kid whose name I don't remember had explained to me the climax of The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, told me completely what happened in this, you know, climactic moment. So I, w- I was so excited when it was on, and I went in my room and I closed the door and I turned off the lights. And then as the movie went on, I think I told this story on the horror one, but as as it kept going on, I got more and more scared. Even though I think I was sixteen, maybe fifteen, it doesn't matter. And I'd open the door and I turned on the lights and I went out at commercial breaks, national TV, sure. and talked to my family. <laughs> tried to coerce them into coming in and watching it with me because I was like really scared. In your lair. Yeah, in the lair, yeah. But but by the end, all the lights were on. Door was nice. open, you know, because I was afraid. Um, I think even my family was watching like Patriot Games, which was also on at the same time. And I remember that was a big deal because I was like, I had to choose because Patriot Games was rated R. Oh, and I chose Sansa Lambs while everyone else watched Patriot Games. I was the odd man out. Um, but... I was so scared in the climax, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. <laughs> and that was, uh, that meant something to me. Like, what skill that I can know? Like, I mean, I remembered exactly. He had explained it to me. It was crystal clear in my mind. I had no, I mean, I had no, there was no, I can't even think of the right word, um, confusion. Right. I knew exactly, and my heart was beating out of my chest. And I was like, Jonathan Demi, you have done something here, you know, <laughs> who directed it. Like, oh, director, that was the other one. Oh. Those are the five. The Duh. five. Duh. Sorry, Jonathan Demi. Whoops. He died, but. Oh. <laughs> um, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Whoops, we don't know. <laughs> I, I'm 99% sure. Um, anyway. Um, so, yeah, that was huge for me. And it didn't really make me love horror movies. But it made me realize, like, the skill they put forth in those scenes. Like, it wouldn't matter. You're talking about rewatching something. Like you can rewatch it, laugh again, cry again, be scared again. That's a skill, man. Yeah. To to combine the elements in such a way, for me to like be going. I mean, I, Sansa Lambs has been out for so long. I feel like spoiler alert's not, but to know like she's gonna turn around and you've seen it, right? Yeah. She's gonna turn around and shoot this guy, mm-hmm. and to be so freaked out, like somehow I didn't think it was going to happen. I was I was like, oh, that's how you make a climax, man. Mm-hmm. He's like putting his hand in her face, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Jody. <laughs> Clarice, I know, but, but jo- Jody. Jody, he's right there, you know? Yeah. And some of it was my youth, you know, for sure. Um, but yeah, that I also wanted to shout out to like, it was a, a transformative, you know, in that era when I was watching Siskel and Ebert and I'd seen Forrest Gump and I kind of understood what the Oscars were. Those movies on national TV were so big for me, getting the chance to see it. It was like when other people went to the theater to see these movies. I was finally getting my chance when, you know, the R-rated movie came on, edited on TV. You know, here we go. I can finally see a year later, two years later, sometimes three years later, you know. I can finally see this, you know. Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Okay, there nice. Um, 
I do want to acknowledge and point out, like, how much younger Chad, like, if we're, you know, matching up our chronologies with what age we were. Yes. Chad got into the whole, like, I guess, kind of, like, criticism or, like, awards aspect of movies a lot earlier than I did. Yeah, yeah, not earlier maybe as... You mean even earlier? Yeah, I mean, like, like age-wise. Cause like, oh, even earlier age-wise. You know, if we say we're up to about the same point in our yeah. stories, like, I was still very much just, like, this is a thing you put on and it's fun to watch with got friends. It, Whereas you were more it. thinking about, like, you know, this is how yeah. it's perceived. It's being honored for this. Yeah, especially Whereas, Forrest Gump era. Mm-hmm. So 13, 12, 13, 14, probably more 14. Right. And when I was really, like... But we, my parents just, again, I know I'm, I'm Kanyeing, but my parents watched the Oscars from when I was, like... You know, probably from when I was zero on. Right. But I remember it from when I was like eight, nine, ten on. Yeah. At first, that was just a thing. And then slowly it was like, oh, yeah. this is winning. Because this thing, like I saw Dance with the Wolves with my dad and then it won Best Picture. Like, oh, I was in, I was in the theater. If I hadn't fallen asleep, like I, I would have seen that movie. That's called The Best in the Land. Like, oh, yeah. wow. Okay, sorry. No, yeah, but I, but I, and like I was, I think I would kind of like, watch the Oscars when they were on. Like, we'd put it on in my house, but I think I would usually just end up getting frustrated that I didn't know what any of the movies were right. and, like, be mad that my mediocre teen movies weren't, like, being nominated for right, things, you right. know? So I just want to say, I don't know, just kind of, like, acknowledge. Sure, I wasn't on your level, but now I'm going to talk about how I started to... Yeah. How I started down that path of being more, like, into it as a criticism and a thing. Yeah, so, like, in, teen, in my teen years, I definitely... Uh, I think I, I became more and more attached to the theater-going experience um, and uh, got into a, a habit where um, there was probably even a point where every single week I was just looking for what was coming out and uh, specifically to be able to try and convince my friends to go to midnight premieres with me every week, which was like a terrible habit because my mom was like, you can do it if you just go to school the next day and like don't complain. So I was like, okay. Um, so that was uh, nice of her. Yeah, I know. Um, it was nice of her, but that became a, uh, that kind of became another movie tradition with friends in my teen years was just like, find something no matter how dumb or like whatever, uh, if it was premiering at midnight, try and go on the Thursday night back when that still happened. I don't I know. know why in recent years they've, well, they start them earlier, which I'm down with. Yeah, me too. Cause now we don't have to stay up late, but yeah, I don't know why. Cause it made it an event and now it's less an event exactly. at seven or whatever. Right. And, you know, now everything has reserved seating. But this was before all that. So, like, yeah, you had to go stand in line. If it was a big movie, you had to go stand in line uh, to try and get your spot in, uh, for the, the midnight, to get a good seat, right, for the midnight premiere. Um, so, just wanted to highlight those good times. I mean, we would see anything. So, like, I think I saw, uh, uh, like, the first Twilight movie uh, came out when, was, when I was in high school. We went at midnight. It was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so things like that, right? But I think through that experience, I saw started to see more and more trailers for other movies coming out. And uh, just started to notice, you know, some, some different ones that I hadn't really thought about before. And I think uh, eventually what kind of got me into anticipating weird and different movies was I decided to start checking out uh, back in, I mean, this is going to highlight, I guess, the age gap, but uh, uh, on YouTube, I, I started to find, uh, they at this time on their website, maybe they still do, I don't think I've seen it in a long time, but they had just like, on the sidebar, they had a trailers section where they just like, put any trailer that had been released, and so I started looking at that, just like once a week, and would just go through, and the the key point of the key takeaway of why I'm, of why I'm saying this is uh that's where I started to find indie trailers because they would put 
any trailer there at all. So that would include, you know, the tiniest small budget movies, which uh, I wouldn't necessarily see trailers for normally uh, when I would go see Twilight or whatever it was, right? <laughs> so, um, so uh, through that, I, uh, I started to discover some smaller movies. So I, um, I saw that, like, uh, Jared Hess had a new movie coming out, right? That was how I dis- first discovered Gentleman Broncos was through that trailer section on YouTube. Uh, I think that was where I saw my first trailer for Scott Pilgrim, where I was like, ooh, that looks, you know, very different and interesting. Um, and so uh, I just started to be kind of like, ooh, what if I go to these movies that are more off the beaten path, you know? And uh, so this was important, because this is when I was started to be like, maybe movies can be something different than I've expected them to be thus far. Yeah. Uh, and so I think... Uh, while I'm talking about branching out to different movies, um, I guess a couple important ones that I sought out were, so Scott Pilgrim, you know, totally changed my life. It's like made who I am today. Uh, around, this was my senior year of high school. Um, Catfish, the documentary, I saw that one out at the beginning of my senior year, I remember, and was highly impressed, not disappointed. Um, and then of course the other Facebook movie also came out that fall, uh, <laughs> being the social network. Um, so the social network I consider, uh, go check out the social network podcast. By yeah. The way. Um, the social network episode all about the social network. All about we both it. love it so much. It is listed later for a tiny mention. In is mind, it? But... Okay. And I'll be brief on it, but I oh, do. Uh, and I, I, I also probably mentioned it in the cinematography podcast, but like yeah. that movie definitely changed my perception of movies. Uh, and I also important I saw it because I knew it was critically acclaimed like the trailer appealed to me but then it, reviews came out and like I saw you know I started looking at film critic websites and saw that people were saying you know it's the best movie of the year 10 out of 10 you know that this is the new Citizen Kane so I was like what's the Citizen Kane you know <laughs> um, all, all these things and so uh I, I was just like well I have to see this movie right and so I saw it with my best friend uh on the Thursday night premiere um and uh, was definitely like, okay, I want to understand like why people love this. I definitely wasn't like in love with it, but I did notice the cinematography, which I can now describe as that's what I noticed. But at the time, I didn't really, I didn't understand what cinematography was. But I was yeah. like, the way this is filmed is like different than you know the like, the trashy movies I'm used to. And so I was like, huh, like can more movies look like this? Why does it look this way? And so it, it was a really important milestone where I started to, I guess, kind of recognize the artistry uh, that goes into different aspects of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, he's talking about artistry, and I have a movie later I'll mention. When I watched Jessica Liebert, they would talk about all of those things, the score and the cinematography, and I understood generally what they were and I did understand a higher quality made movie, but I, di- I couldn't articulate a lot of that. And especially for things like cinematography, I didn't understand the subtleties. I didn't understand, you know, uh, what made something stand out. Even if I noticed that it did stand out, I wouldn't be able to say it was this or it was that. But this is also the time, too, when I started. I wanted to give one mention for this. I don't know that my brother Aaron listens to this podcast, but um, I started to, like, fight against... Uh, people appreciating what I thought were dumb movies, if that makes sense, in some ways. So my brother used to, and he mostly did it just to get my goat, but he talked about how Rocky IV was his favorite movie of all time. And I used to get so mad. And and I think I was mostly actually mad, too. I can't, I can't remember for sure if it was a show of madness, like, oh, Aaron, don't, come on. Or if it was like, no. Nah. But uh, I was like, no, this is a... a 
like a, you know, the Rocky movies I like, by the way. Let me go on the record here. Rocky 1, Rocky 2, I, I have a really soft spot for Rocky 3. The newest Rocky before Creed was actually pretty good. And then Creed is very good, made by Ryan Coogler, who made Black, Black Panther. Um, but I was so mad because I was like, Aaron, no. Like, it's a shamelessly, it's baiting us with, like, America versus Russia. <laughs> and, like, at the end, there's this horrible speech that he gives. If I can change and you can change, then we all can change. And I used to make fun of it so much. But it was this burgeoning, like, no, like, quality separates. We cannot champion Rocky Four, for it falls short of what a movie should be. You know what I mean? And there's, like, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit later about how I'm not so much that way anymore. Like, I've finally been able to bring in all parts, I think. And, that, and that's maybe even only been in the last 10 years or whatever. Um, but that, you know, that, 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 you know, uh, nascent, um, snobbery was now starting to come out of like, no, Aaron, don't like Rocky Forest, the best movie ever. Like you don't get it. Just so stupid. But, but, and, and now I started seeking out, you know, the stuff, like I saw Gattaca in the theaters and just loved, loved it. I saw Fargo edited on national TV. I used to like tape these movies via my VCR. Right. You know, and then watch them and get to fast forward the commercials. And Fargo and a movie called Telling Lies in America. These these were the movies that like it would have never been on my radar if not for Siskel and Ebert. Um, you know, that was my YouTube trailers, I guess. Right. It was Siskel and Ebert. And and being able to come away and and start to understand what made this movie good. Start to understand why it stuck with me. Uh, a particular uh, experience was when I taped the movie California with a K. One of my favorite movies still. And I only it was only on my radar because David Duchovny was in it and I liked The X-Files. Because um, he, you know, was the star of The X-Files. And California was the first, like, super dark movie that I watched. Silence of the Lambs, for the record, was dark. But California kind of, like, really looked at what makes someone, like, a killer. What makes, what gives someone the impulse or the... Uh, strength is wrong because it sounds so positive but the, the impetus to kill. Um, and when, when I watch it, I watch it in my parents' room with all the lights off, and when the, VCR, when the VHS tape ended and I hit stop and the screen went black, I just laid there on the bed for like five minutes, just like, whoa, wow, like I, I never considered that. I never considered like, I mean, this sounds really dumb to say, but like, could I be angry enough to kill? And I'm not saying that that's, that, that particular thought was in any way um, deep. It was just the fact that I was contemplating my relationship now to these, to these movies. Um, and that one is really what opened me to up, uh, opened me up to like, oh, like again, not the smut thing. The smut thing was different. But this was like, oh, like the examining of the darker impulses doesn't have to be wrong right nice. similar to the to the oh you, they're not just putting stuff in to make it be yeah. titillating this is same idea except with themes yeah the thematic resonance of california to me and and fargo to some extent too but especially california and i can't remember which one i saw first um was like oh yeah like you're examining something that should scare me and it does but it also makes me contemplate like what makes us human why do we make the choices that we do? Um, and so that was really cool and and electrifying in a lot of ways. Um, 
you know, having that moment. And then I remember just on a small scale, since you worked up to being a senior, uh, right after my senior year in high school, I went uh, to, I used to run in, in high school and I went to this race in Illinois after I graduated. And it was the year that the Truman Show came out. And my dad and my coach and I went and saw the Truman Show. Not dark, um, but it was just there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't remember if I was like, oh, we got to see the Truman Show or if it was just the time. Like, we're like, hey, let's go see a movie. Hey, Truman Show's on or whatever. Um, but but we went and it was, I, I, I don't know if this makes sense, but it was kind of the bookending of my dad and I. Because now it was almost like, we were on the same level going to see the Truman Show. It wasn't me being like, oh, you brought me to sneakers or you being like, oh, I fell asleep during dad, to my dad. I fell asleep during Dance with the Wolves. It's like we were both there seeing this, um, you know, I don't know what the right word is, uh, moving, thoughtful, thoughtful, thoughtful movie. Um, and we were now on the same level. Not that I mean like I transcended to my dad's level, but we were both adultish. I was 18, but adult I was 17. I hadn't turned 18 yet. Adultish. And appreciating it on the same level, I felt like like we're we're there now. We have we have, um, you know. I gra- I I know I talked about graduating before. I know I don't mean to use the same a, a metaphor. That's stupid, but um, it it was full circle. I guess if you say that's terrible too. I'm an English teacher. I can't even think of a good <laughs> a good metaphor off the top of my head. Bookend was better. It bookended that because after that, my, I didn't see as many movies with my dad. I've seen some with him and had some cool experiences. But that was like what had started when we saw Dances, Wolves, and Sneakers had its, you know, finish or its its close, its conclusion when we went and saw the Truman Show of like, we are adults who enjoy movies nice. and we can sit together and be like, wow, that was really cool and interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, me. I love the Truman Show. Yeah, me too. One of my very favorites of all time. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit because I'm, I, this has been so good for me to like, to like dig up memories that yeah. I didn't even think of when I made my notes. But yeah, like, yeah. so I actually, so I said I didn't get into like the criticism or awards side of film like Chad did, but I actually did have one thing that I clung to as my like exposure to film criticism, which was my family subscribed to the Daily Herald newspaper. And every Thursday, they would, uh, I, I know they, I'm pretty sure they had a name for it. They eventually changed it to the ticket. And I was like, I remember being mad about that name change, but uh, they just had a name for the, the life and style, like the entertainment section of the yeah. paper on Thursdays uh-huh. where they would cover like everything new coming out from movies to TV to like, you know, concerts happening in the area. It was just like an entertainment section every Thursday. But I would like eagerly, like you know, I would wake up a little earlier on Thursdays to give myself time pour a bowl of some probably really awful sugar cereal yeah, and yeah. Uh, go grab the paper, right? Or this is all before school and uh, and read as much of that section as I could before the bus came. And uh, especially would flip to the movie section and they would have movie reviews and they would uh, give a letter grade. Now on retrospect, I'm like, it was kind of lazy because I like usually like half their reviews would be published like written by other publications and they would just include it in the yeah, yeah anyway but they would have a letter grade and so like that was just kind of my first thing with and, and when i was young like probably 10 or 11 when i got into that m night phase i started looking at that stuff and i i still remember some of the letter grades from the single movie no reviews because they really informed my views for a while as to like you know this is what's considered amazing uh or this is considered terrible and i, I mean like i didn't really have the access to the internet 
that I have now. Obviously, it wasn't, the internet wasn't what it was. I yeah. don't think I don't think movie review sites really existed as much Not as they like do Rotten now. Tomatoes. Or Rotten Tomatoes like that, wasn't yeah. around, so yeah. so very much. I like I still rem- I still remember some of those grades. I think they gave the village an A, and so like no way. I think that helped it kind wasn't of like, really very no. They, generally, there are some good reviews out there of the village, mm-hmm. and it was like. But it was the transition of we love everything M. Night does to we hate everything M. Night does. Yeah. The village is right in the middle. Mm-hmm. It was the first where people were like, some people were like, wait, no, this isn't good. But some people appreciated it. And those people are the people who I wish were my friends. Right. So, <laughs> uh, Because yeah. the village is a, come on. So this section of the Daily Herald newspaper, they did have their own writers that did some of the movie reviews. But yeah, like... They had some weird grades, but The Village was an A, so that helped inform and support my, like, M. Night's Amazing phase, right? Yeah. They gave most Pixar movies A's, and so I was like, yeah, Pixar is, like, top quality, which yeah. I still feel today. Definitely. Uh, but, yeah, every now and then I'll, like, still have, I'll watch a movie from that era when I was most into that, which was, like, grade? all through, probably from when I was, like, 10 to, like, 17 or 18, I would yeah. read this every week, and I'll still remember the scores they gave and be like... No, they were wrong, or like, yeah, they were yeah. right. Shout out to the Press Telegram, which I read uh, in Long Beach, California. Oh, okay. It's very similar. Very similar. And See? sometimes stealing other reviews, uh-huh. but other times their own writers. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't think they gave a letter grade. They did stars, I think. Did they? Okay. Um, yeah, I still read that at, when I visit my parents. They still have the Do weekend have section. Yeah. yeah. And I'll still go to it, like, very nostalgic. And then yeah. You know. um, so anyway, yeah, I did I did have some, I, some, I guess, kind of like, thing that I was... Uh, using to see what other people thought about movies, nice, which, which yeah. was cool, I guess, in retrospect. But yeah. um, okay, so uh, tail end of high school, just that I think I had, so when I started in that fall to discover movies like The Social Network, right, uh, that was super critically acclaimed, or movies like Scott Pilgrim that you know well received but definitely super different, right. Um, I think I'd already signed up for the film class that my high school offered, but. Uh, I was super pumped for it. It was that next semester. So that was a great experience, right? I, I loved my film teacher. She would tell us about, you know, we got in, it was a uh, second semester. So the Oscars happened while we had the class. And it was like, you know, we learned what all the movies were. She would tell us about the ones that our parents wouldn't let us see or that we didn't watch for whatever reason, right? Um, so it was cool. And I started to learn about more individual things like cinematography. Uh, so that helped me see like, oh, I think that's the thing that I liked about The Social Network. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and we watched a lot of classic movies. That's where I saw Citizen Kane for the first time <laughs> to, to pair with uh, what I had learned thanks to that Social Network <laughs> review. Um, so it was great. Uh, so that just kind of helped, you know, continue to put me on that uphill trajectory of like, I'm really into movies, right? Yeah. Uh, so if I guess I want to skip into college a little bit, that's when I super started getting into the Oscars, right? And instead of just tuning in and being like, do I know these movies? I would like start looking up, you know, predictions and like what's going to be nominated, what's expected. I want to see all these movies that I can. Um, and, uh, it was, it was quite a ways into my college career. I, I did a lot of uh, I guess floundering, but, uh, I, I finally figured out like I wanted to do a cinema studies minor, meaning just like. Uh, learning how to analyze films basically for my for my minor so I started taking classes related to it and uh, eventually joined Rogators right oh um, yeah yeah I, I would see Chad post his writings um, I guess this can also serve as an origin story episode for the, the podcast story. not for Rogators because I wasn't part of it from the beginning but the the podcast I guess we started together yeah, right yeah, so definitely yeah I would see Chad post like reviews or lists or things for Rogators and I thought it was cool um, and like I was like, I want to write about movies too. So I reached out to Chad, and was like, Yo, if you ever like want help 
I want yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. So I read reviews, Utopia, and like, yeah. this was only a couple of years ago now, right? Yeah. So, yeah, but that me. that helped me, and like I uh, discovered a love for writing about movies, and I definitely let myself get rusty with it since our. I guess website, yeah. you know, went away. I but like we still have ways to write about movies, and I should I know, do it. But now we've like kind of fallen out of the habit, which is sad. Yeah, it is. It's very sad because I love it, and yeah, and I'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, more and too. I'm like skipping way through time. No, so you're I, fine. maybe I'm ahead of where you want to be. So no, maybe you should fine. jump back Don't in. Worry. No, no, you're totally good. Um, I th- now I have a lot of little things that I just want to say. So around this time, um, I started I started crying in movies. I mean, this is a weird thing, but I wrote, I wrote for Rogatours about how I cry in movies. I tell my film lit class about it every year because it wasn't until I was older. Like, I, I cried in Armageddon. That's the first one I remember, which is very strange. And, and it was out of the blue for that one. Um, and then I cried in Hercules. That's probably... And, and these are like... It sounds weird that I remember these, but they were some of the first ones ever. Like, my mom is a crier. Big time. We used to make fun of her. And one time she cried during a trailer and I made fun of her. And I have since cried during multiple trailers. <laughs> but when we were younger, like, oh, my mom cried in the trailer. Oh, man, mom, you're so dumb. And now I'm like, oh, you know, with the trailer. Um, but uh, this is more, this isn't necessarily part of the journey. Just like th- some of these are just kind of like little comments. And, and my dad and I, so my dad rarely cries. And one time on this weekend, we were watching all these movies that we had taped off of TV. And we watched... Uh, Jerry Maguire and we both cried at the end and I was like dad because I'd never seen him cry and then we watched The Sixth Sense and we cried at the end when, when he's telling her about his uh, grandma and I dad like what is happening like you're crying too you know so I guess I said the bookend was Truman Show this is probably the real bookend I, I forgot that I, about this story when we were just talking and then the next day we watched Con Air and before we started watching Con Air, my dad said, well, at least we won't, we won't cry, you know? <laughs> and at the end of Con Air, we both cried. <laughs> and when we cried, I'm like crying and I think like, I cannot believe I'm crying. And I look over at my dad. He's crying and he goes, I don't know what's happening. Oh <laughs> and, uh, and we've joked about it a lot over the years. He doesn't, I don't think he listens to any of these, so he won't be embarrassed. Um, and that's not even really like on this journey. It's just a comment. Just a, we, as yeah, I was yeah. thinking about things related to movies. I can jump in on the crying thing a little bit. Yeah, please. So, cause I never, I actually didn't cry about anything like ever through like my whole teen years. And I wanted to, it became this weird thing. I, I don't know that much about psychology. I kind of think it was related to like suppression and stuff. Cause mm-hmm. there was this link where anyway, after I accepted my sexuality, like I, shortly after that, and I can't figure out the connection here. Cause like. But I, I watched the movie Warrior from 2011. Oh, starring, I know uh, Warrior. Please. Yeah, okay. Joel Edgerton. Like shortly and after. Tom Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> shortly after that, I had this kind of like transcendent experience where I accepted myself and like I sobbed. That was like the first time I ever have a memory of crying in a movie, which is weird because I, I had this love for movies by that point, yeah. right? But in Warrior, and it's like, because it's like hugely thematic about, you know, brothers and like I don't have any brothers and I don't know, but it was just like, I. Like, I was gasping for air at the end of that movie. Oh, wow. And so, I don't, I don't have a reason why. Like, it just, that's kind of yeah. an anecdote. But yeah. that was the well, first movie I have. Mine are basically anecdotal at this point. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife knows I cry. Like, it's a thing. She knows I cry. But in Cinderella Man, 
I cried so much that Bethany asked me, are you okay? Oh my gosh. The only time I remember her ever doing that. Because uh-huh. we'd been, I don't remember when Cinderella Man came out, but we'd been married already for a little while. And I sobbed in multiple scenes of Cinderella Man. Um, don't know why. It was about boxing, which I hate. I mean, I like well, watching so movies. Lawyer, right? I like watching movies about boxing. <laughs> yeah. But the idea of boxing is I hate it. Like, I don't ever watch real boxing. Yeah. For me, I, if you do, oh yeah, you're great. But I like, you're beating on each other and like giving brain damage and stuff. Like, it doesn't make <laughs> yeah. sense to me. But Cinderella Man, it was, and a lot, it was like he was choosing for his family. He was doing these things for his family. I'm just sobbing, right? Bethany, are you okay? And I, there was a little sarcasm in her asking it too. She's like, what is happening with you right now? And my crying, uh, at this point I say I cry in everything. I cried in Skyscraper, you know, just the other day. Toy right. Story was kind of the culmination. I didn't sob as much as Cinderella Man, but the depth of my crying in Toy Story <laughs> was like summing up everything I thought about movies and being a child and now being an adult and understanding how those two things cross over was summed up in that final scene of Toy Story. Listen to our uh, top 10 animated movies uh, episode. <laughs> Um, so yeah, just crying, 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 right. you know? I'm not as bad as you, but I do cry pretty frequently. Yeah, movies yeah. Now. Movies, like I've said before, movies that don't earn it at all. Right. I'm just sobbing still. Yeah. Like Skyscraper, which is fine and fun and whatever. But like at the end, you know, spoiler alert, like when the family gets back together. Oh my yeah. gosh, you know. I mean, Con Air. I just told you I cried in Con Air. So, I mean, you know. Um, it, I mentioned Moulin Rouge here just because Moulin Rouge um, was like, when I saw Moulin Rouge, uh, it was everything uh, I wanted to understand and like about movies amped up to like the 100th degree. And I was just like, this Baz Luhrmann guy, like, he has style, oh, man, yeah, you know, knows. which I still think. And I like Baz Luhrmann a lot. I, I love Moulin Rouge still. That's great. But it was like, it was, it was goosing what I started to appreciate to this level of just like, oh. <gasps> slather me in production design and cinematography and uh, fast editing and music and over-the-top acting and just put it all on me, you know? <laughs> and that's how I felt watching, watching Moulin Rouge. Um, around that time, too, when I was in college, uh, there was a girl that I liked, and we went over uh, to, like, her brother and sister's house. We watched a movie, and I don't remember the movie, but we were talking about some movie, and her, um, her I think it was her brother-in-law, but I don't remember. It was years ago. He's talking about some movie that I liked, and he's like, that movie's stupid. <gasps> and I said, oh, like, why do you think so? Like, it's just stupid. And, and I, I was so angry, not because he thought the movie was stupid, but because he couldn't say why. Yes. And it's been a pet peeve of mine since then, and, <laughs> and, and has really, truly, like, af- uh, affected the way that I talk about movies. Same. I'm like, I will always tell you why. And I will tell you why, if it was stupid, I still liked it. And I will tell you why, if it was stupid, I didn't. And I will tell you why, if I liked it, why I still had a problem with something. And it's not traced only to that moment. But as I was starting to realize, like, I want to say things about movies. I want other people, I want to be, recommend to like, oh, Jake, you should see this movie, you know. That's important to me because I need you to know that it changed me or that I understood it or whatever. I remember this moment of him saying, that movie's stupid and not being able to articulate it. And sitting there stewing like... You can't even tell me why it's stupid. Yeah. You suck, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and that, you know, transcends to us on the podcast right now. Oh, it does. Being, That's... like, saying, like, even when you were talking about, you know, uh, uh, the Netflix one. Uh, uh, when we first when met. When we first met. And you're like, well, yeah, like, and somebody probably thought it was good and it made me wonder about this. Like, it's all about, like, I need to give you all these things so you know I've thought about it. Even if it was dumb and we all know it was dumb, like, I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. And I'm going to break down 
like where it failed or where it could have excelled or whatever. That's the literal, know? that's my literal like disclosure document purpose for my film class that I teach is I, I'm like, look, this class is going to be me showing you a bunch of movies I love. You're not going to love a lot of them, but you better be able to tell me why you don't love them. Yeah. And so, yeah. I love it. I love so that it. was a big, big, big moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I wanted to start uh, trumpeting that. Uh, when I was in college, I started buying a lot of movie posters that I put up all the very, very quintessential dorm room, you know. But I wouldn't want to get the ones that everyone had. I'd get like Go, um, uh, directed by Doug Lyman uh, with Katie Holmes and Jay Moore. And I'd get like, um, uh, what do I have in my room now? Like The Interpreter. Right. And uh, The Truman Show, sure. The Majestic, which isn't necessarily considered a classic, but movies that people would come in and be like, oh, what's that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, you played into my hands. Like, this is why it's on the wall. Exactly. Because I want to tell you right now, <laughs> you know, why you should see The Majestic or whatever. Chad just so, swiveled in his chair <laughs> to tell me that he wanted to tell me right now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So that was all in that, those moments. At the t- around that time I saw, in that era, I saw Far From Heaven. And it was the first time I truly felt I could articulate cinematography. Like I was like, I could watch this movie on um, mute because of the production design and the cinematography. And it was echoing, uh, it was evoking an old style, it was emulating an old style, like the Douglas Sirk style, um, directed by Todd Haynes. And uh, I was like, oh yeah, no one's seen this movie. So there was that aspect of like telling my friends. But, but finally being able to like, oh, cinematography, like, I, I get it, I think. And obviously I, I don't fully get it, you know, they're so much smarter than I am. And I don't understand like various of the, the film stock and, you know, the lenses and stuff. I, I'm just, I've never studied it well enough, the technical aspect. But in that moment, like, I was able to say like, here's how they were evoking old style. Here's why it looked this way. Here's how they did it. And that was a big, that was a big deal. Um, in that time too, you know, and now the chronology is all messed up, but somewhere in there, uh, my, my friend asked me to help teach one day of her class at, uh, she was teaching a, a class for her master's at BYU. It was on humanities. She had me come in and teach one, one period, one class period about movies. So I prepared for months for this one and a half hour class. Nice. That's what actually partially ended up, I wasn't a teacher yet. It's what made me end up going to be a teacher, but I prepared on cinema. It's, it's what turned into my film lit class, you know? Prepared on cinematography, production design, and I was at the point where I was like, no, I feel like, I'm not gonna pretend like I know more than them, but I'm gonna set the scene and I'm gonna help them understand this if they don't know as much as me. And if they do, I'm gonna let them share their thing and we're gonna kind of learn that together. Yeah. And at this point, you know, like it's less, it becomes less snobby and more like, I want us all to be changed. I want us all to be entertained. I want us all to understand the quality that can come. Like, don't settle for whatever. I don't know. Don't settle for Ice Age. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because because at this point too, there was an aspect of like, because I told you it took even longer than that for me to be like, you know what, Skyscraper's okay too. But at this point, yeah, don't settle for Skyscraper. Watch Unbreakable, you know. Don't settle for... I'm trying to think of something else I've seen recently. Don't settle for the house on the clock and its walls, you know, see Silence of the Lambs or whatever. I mean, that's a terrible comparison because of the content and stuff. Um, and then, and then uh, during my career in college, we watched a movie called Vertigo, which a lot of you know, and I realized that some old movies hold up 
100%. That intrigued the heck out of me. Psycho was that for me, so shout out to Hitchcock. Yeah, and then I saw a movie called The Oxbow Incident, which was really the movie that first, I was like, this movie is intense and it's complex about ideas that are still relevant. I was like, wow. It's not just the modern sensibility. It's not just the technology of now. There's something else going on here, right? We've talked a lot about how we love scripts and we love uh, interesting things. You talked about midnight. I know I'm just piling on now, but we talked about midnight yeah. movies. When I saw Inception at midnight, um, my sister brought these huge cupcakes in her purse. And I, and it was, I, I rarely went to midnight movies because I was older. And I was just like, well, why wouldn't I want to, like, in the light of, in the, uh, in the, um, physical strength of day yeah. be able to sit through this movie um, but I remember the 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 amazement of oh it's midnight it's starting my sister's handing out these orange dream cupcakes you know like orange <laughs> dreamsicle and I'm just like this is maybe the greatest moment of my life Absolutely. you know at that moment because um, it was Inception too yeah. and so then that bled over into a lot of stuff Prisoner of Azkaban was another movie that really helped me appreciate cinematography because because the first two I thought were just middling and it okay. Is so different. And three is so different. And to be able to like immediately tell people it's like you guys don't understand how much more of a cinematic experience. People think it's like the other ones, and I'm like, what? How can you not see? It's right? So how can you not see the cinematic nature of Prisoner of Azkaban <laughs> compared with the adaptation uh, shackles to me? Of number one oh, and number absolutely. two, which are fine, and I know people like them a lot, but mm-hmm. Prisoner of Azkaban was unshackled oh. and and untamed, and that and then that got me into Alfonso Cuarón and Emmanuel Lubezki, who did not shoot Prisoner of Azkaban, but most of the time shot um, Cuarón's movies, so Children of Men and Gravity, um, and the upcoming Roma, not shot by Emmanuel Lubezki, shot by Alfonso Cuarón himself. What? Roma, he yeah. DP'd on it. Yeah. Whoa. He DP'd Roma. Okay. Yeah, he may have had a collaborator. Right. But every article talks about how he I can't shot wait it. to see that. I know. More to come on that in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so these, I mean, at this point, obviously, I'm just like, obviously, saying things, right? Um, but all of this, after all these years, led to uh, Tom Jones, who, who created Rogo Tours, um, who lives in, in California. He and I had been friends in high school and, and shared a love of movies, and he had wanted to launch a site. He had wanted to be involved. He's done some podcasting and stuff as well about movies, and so we started writing. That's what Jake, to catch up to Jake a little bit. Um, obviously, we don't write as much anymore, but I loved it. I'm so grateful to Tom for just asking me to do this because even though we've never made money on this stuff, like it's an outlet for this love that Jake and I shared, I'm not speaking for Jake, but we've talked about this before, yeah. of movies, of their transformative power, of the artistry that goes into them, the thoughtfulness, the power they have to you know, make us see the world differently. Um, and then like I wrote for Taste of Cinema for a while, which was fantastic. Shout out to David who, who, who gave me that opportunity as well. Um, and, and through that too, uh, and it all built up to that, right? It all built up. And it's like, I'm taking all this experience. Like I'll, I'll say, man, I'm 38 now. You know, I'm almost 40. And I have settled in, like we've already intimated a couple times, into like being able to say, I liked failure to launch. And being able to say, you know, I, I like to get out. They're on totally different levels. Mm-hmm. And if you want to ask me about it, I'll explain those levels, right? But I'm okay to tell people, like, I liked Failure to Launch. Like, I enjoyed watching Skyscraper. 
it moved back from the like, I have to be snobbish about this and I'm wasting my time. And you know what? You could still argue with me that I'm wasting my time watching Skyscraper and I wouldn't necessarily argue with you, right? You're probably right, but it was a family experience. Like my whole family watched it. Yeah. The five-year-old to me. And the kids really enjoyed it. And there are aspects I can appreciate. Robert freaking Elswit shot it. I know I've already <laughs> said that a couple times, but it blew my mind. Um, that are elevating it. And did it elevate it to like a great movie? No, it did not elevate it to a great movie. And I'm not telling you go see Skyscraper. But there are other experiences with movies, right? This, the times I had with my dad, that's a moment in Skyscraper, you know? And, and Chase saw The Sixth Sense. I hope later in his life he won't think Skyscraper's the best movie he's ever seen. I don't think he will. He doesn't right now, <laughs> probably, right? But we're sharing these moments. Uh, my daughter said, you know, her favorite movie was Avatar. Though not The Last Airbender, obviously, but uh, Avatar James Cameron. I hope she'll grow out of that. But at the same time, I love that she had that reaction. I love that we watched it together and she's like, this is cool, this is interesting. And that's, and I know that, that Jake talked about the same thing. And I don't think it's particularly more special with your kids than friends. I'm being serious. I'm, I would never be that condescending nor, but maybe there's like a tick more with the blood of like, I'm now passing this oh, yeah. on I to bet. my kid. No, but I mean, I mean that sincerely mm -hmm. that I don't think it's because especially when we're teenagers, like that friend, the friendships you have when you're teenagers, it basically is like the blood, a blood relation yeah, at that moment, even yeah. if it fades later at totally. that moment. It feels that same way of unpassing. I remember watching Memento the first time, and it was edited back then. Oh yeah, I wanted to get to the rated R thing. I forgot to do that. I'll do that in just a minute. <laughs> and well, yeah, I wanted to get, uh, uh, Memento for the first time, and then we had rented it from this place that cleaned up movies. And within the seven days we had it, I watched it with two other groups, and I found myself looking over at them, like, oh, they're gonna love this watching Memento because I'd already seen it the once. Now I'm watching it the second time. I'm watching their reactions. Like, you guys can't believe how good this movie is. Like, feeling like a, the lady who can't uh, keep a surprise in that Kristen Wiig played on SNL. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to run through the wall because you're going to love what happens and it's going to blow your mind. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. And, and with your kids, there is maybe just that little bit more of like, I'm now passing on to you this, this right, this thing, which my dad did to me. My mom as well. Like, I feel like I'm shrifting, giving my mom short shrift who showed us stuff all the time. But it just so happens that those couple seminal ones I remember with my dad. Um, yeah, so there was a, a, a period where I was finally realizing that uh, Beast of the Southern Wild, The Social Network, 310 to Yuma, movies that stuck into my consciousness like, like uh, movies hadn't done before. Um, the Social Network 2 uh, comparison to The King's Speech. I hadn't seen The King's Speech before the Oscars. And I was so mad that it lost. And then about a year later, I saw The King's Speech and I was like, you know, like, and the social network's better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Don't worry. We've uh, had talks, you know. We, I know. But oh. I was like, I was able to say, there's a place for both of these. Like, I would have voted for the social network. I think it's a lot better and more vital to what's happening right now. Absolutely. But I was able to watch the King speech and just be like, you know what? You did, you did a good thing, Tom Hooper. <laughs> like, there's good stuff here. And it's, and it's less sappy than I thought. And you, you earn some moments here. And it, was it easier to vote for that? Of course it was. Like, they should have voted for the social network. Yeah. But at the same time, and you may disagree, but for me, there was a piece that came with it. And I want to, I wanna, uh, and I have one more thing to say after this, but I, we got to get back to Jay because I've just been piling on no, all these great. things. But it was very late in my life when I started seeing rated R movies, which is neither here nor there, and it's just a comment that's true. Um, but it came from me wanting to support vital cinema. And the, the really turning point for me was the movie Boyhood, 
And at that point, I'd kind of been like, you know what? Like, you're a pretty mature adult, and you can, you know, you've, you know, you learned these lessons a long time ago with Forrest Gump and with California that, like, it's okay. And, you know, and I'm not going to go too much into content because everyone has a different threshold, and I'm fine with that. Um, but when Boyhood came out, there was a part of me that was like, how can I not go give this money with what this audacious experiment mm-hmm. that Richard Linklater did? Like, I have to support this. And it, and there, all these years of all this stuff, hearkening back to the driving and stuff, like, the person that I am, I feel like I'm betraying myself if I'm not supporting Boyhood in theaters. Like, that's what it was. Awesome. And that was kind of the turning point of like, and you know what, again, like some of you out there like, no, stick to your, yeah, 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 that's fine. Like, I'm not, see what you want to see and only what you want to see. But there was a moment of like all these experiences I have learned a long time ago, but didn't want to admit it, that I need to go see these movies for me, for who I am. Like, I got to go see Boyhood. I got to go see Get Out. You know, I got to go see Moonlight. If I don't see these movies, I am betraying like what I care about. Yeah. And Boyhood was what did that. And you mentioned Boyhood earlier, and I wrote it. He, he know, I took an Expo marker because I had no pens. <laughs> That's what that I was. got up during this podcast while Jake was talking, and I was like, you have to write Boyhood on here because that's super important because he just gave a, a brief shout-out to Boyhood, um, which brought me to where I am today. And I'll say a couple more things after this, but I'm wow. going to let you. That was, like, beautiful. Like, <laughs> press end right now. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, I'll give my kind of wrap-up, I guess, Uh just end of college till now. So I, uh, I started, um, I guess before Rogators, I started writing reviews for my school's newspaper. Um, or whenever it was, probably after, whatever, timeline, you don't care. Uh, (laughs) Someone else is like, uh, point of order, Jake, it didn't happen at that time. Near the end of college, I also started writing, I definitely did some overlap with Rogators in my my college's newspaper. Um, But that was a cool, I guess, kind of, we've mentioned, I guess, bookend or full circle moments, but it was cool for me to um, write reviews for my school newspaper and... I guess feel like I was now the, you know, the Thursday section of the paper or whatever yeah. being like, Oh, someone, maybe someone out there is like, Oh, I wonder what he's going to say. Gotta about read this what movie. Jake's going to say. Right. Yeah. I, I never received one indication that anyone had ever read any of my reviews. <laughs> but <laughs> The thought was nice. Uh, and oh so, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. And it was really, it was really great for me to have to every, you know, two weeks, I had to share it with this other guy who I mean, we'll get into this. I, I'm a snob. I'll I'll call myself a snob, but like I felt like he was not, you know, picking movies apart on the same level that I was. Anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> so uh, sometimes on. I wish we had video. Sure, sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> Clear. I'm sure the population of UVU was highly anticipating my weeks <laughs> of reviewing movies. Um, <laughs> anyway. I did that, but it was great for me to, you know, every time it was my turn to have to really be like, okay, I have to, even if no one's reading this, I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about. And like, I, uh, you know, like I, I'm, uh, being very critical and like thinking about all these different aspects of filmmaking. So that was huge for me. Um, and writing reviews for Rogue Tours to be yeah. like, you know, if someone reads this, they better think I'm smart about movies. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. and so, uh, those things were great. Um, you know, I, I really, my, I guess still one, I mean, I'm, I'm teaching right now. I love it. I'll probably keep doing it for a, a very long time. I don't see why I won't, but one of I have a couple dream jobs that are movie related. I'd love yeah. to be a movie critic, but I think it's just not, as I learned towards the end of college, it's not a, a viable thing to be like, I'm going to set out to do that. You kind of have to, you know, 
have the lucky dice roll in the yeah, industry and, work your, way and work your way and I was like you know I don't know but teaching was this thing that I could for sure do and it still allows me to do what what I would have wanted to do at the core of being a movie critic which is share my love of it with other yeah, people right exactly. and so I mean films only once one part of the teaching I do just like Chad but uh but it's definitely my favorite class that I teach and uh so um that's where I am now and like Teaching about it has definitely helped me more than ever hone in on what I love about movies and helped me have to understand like the history of cinema, which is stuff I learned in college, but a lot of it I glazed over more than I should have because I had five classes and was working full time and you know, people know how it goes, I guess, hopefully. But um, but uh, it's, it's crazy just to, I constantly feel like, you know, I talked about I don't rewatch movies often, but I am at this point now where I'm like, I should really rewatch that with like my new eyes, you know, now that I understand more about cinematography or, you know, sound design or, yeah, or things yeah. like that, right? I'm I'm seeing these things and I'm like, man, just movies are crazy. And uh, so I love it. Yeah. And I even just as Jake was talking, I'm like, man, I'm sure I missed hundreds of things that, you know, later podcasts will be like, oh, yeah, I should have talked about that on the on the Why We Love Movies podcast uh, episode. Um, but you brought up something, like originally I went, to, I went to school to be in film. That was my original major. And I took a bunch of pre-film classes. I didn't get into the, to the film program. That's a, another story I'm not gonna tell right now. Um, but uh, I love what you said, like, and, and it's the same for me. I'm a teacher and I went to school to be an English teacher not knowing I'd ever teach a film class. Um, I mean, I went and got my teaching certificate after I graduated, got my bachelor's. Then I went back to, to be an English teacher, but sharing that love, like we'll watch trailers sometimes unrelated to, to what's going on in the class. And I give them assignments I think would be amazing to do. Sometimes I do them, you know, (laughs) I don't always do them, but sometimes I do like, here's my example, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, with Jake talking about people reading them. Like that's been a big deal. I remember that one of the first things that I wrote for Tom for Rogo Tours was kind of a dual review slash analysis of Mud and The Way Way Back. And I'm still more proud of that than a lot of other things because there is an element when we started having deadlines and stuff and actually writing for Rogo Tours almost every week or at least, you know, there were some periods when we were pretty fertile doing some writing. There's an element of like, this is done enough. I'm done enough it's time to publish it because I'm supposed to have it up or whatever. With that first one, Tom and I hadn't started anything yet. And I put like multiple, like a week or two into that review slash analysis that was like comparing and contrasting these two movies and the coming of age story and why they were both good movies, why they were very different, but shared these similar vibes. Um, And I kind of wish, and that's what this podcast is basically is us being able to do that sometimes. Um, just being able to every once in a while just be like, let's talk about something we are, love and let's talk, hey, shoot, let's talk about why we love movies. Let's share some of these experiences we like thinking about. Um, and, and there are many out there, probably not a lot of you who listen to this unless you're just listening because you know Jake, like Jake, know me or like me. But there are a lot of people out there who would probably think like, why would you waste your time Recording podcasts, you're not making money, or writing for Robotrice, you're not making money, or whatever. I did make a tiny, tiny bit of money for Taste of Cinema, so that was fun. <laughs> very little, but they did pay me, so that was fun. Like I, I got to feel like I was getting paid for my movie knowledge on a small scale. I know that's teaching, too, but the, you know, they didn't hire me to be the film lit teacher, totally. right? They hired me to teach English. Um, 
sorry. Um, but I, I lost my train of thought. But the point was, there are some people who would say to themselves, like, this is a waste of time and stuff. And I'm not doing some old school, you know, after school special, like, you waste your time. No, no, dad. Movies changed my life. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But the idea that all these experiences we just shared have imbued movies with a greater significance for us, and we want to keep building on that significance. We are purposefully going, let's not let that significance ever die. Let's deepen it every day, which is kind of fun. Yeah. And hopefully some, some of you out there listening see that. The last thing I wanted to say, kind of the, the final couple thoughts is, I really do feel like when one gives oneself over to like criticism or analysis, that it opens up so much appreciation for even a movie like Skyscraper, right? Um, and, and like, so Get Out is the example I have in my paper. I was astounded by the movie Get Out the first time I saw it because the levels in which Jordan Peele accomplished like everything he wanted to blew my mind. It's so rare to be that in control of all those different things at the same time, even in movies that I adore. And I'm not, Get Out's not my favorite movie ever because there are all kinds of other things that go into it. But when one has said to oneself, like, I want to appreciate this on all the different levels, it makes movies be more, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You go in and it's like, this is going to be great because I know this, this, and this. And because I know this and this, this is great. It's this self-fulfilling thing. But there's the last thing I wanted to share is this idea that like, I still, I still, if love the moments isn't right, I'm still so intrigued by the moments where I think a movie has done all the things. And I think everyone would think that. And only I'm left alone on that island. And I don't, this is more of a contemplative final moment of like, the, obviously personal things come into play with movies. There are movies Jake loved that I didn't love and movies I love that Jake didn't love even though we have a lot of similarities and we appreciate all these different things. There are times when, you know, I I don't go down into the rabbit hole but I kind of want to. Like, I, I'll use an example from last, well, I'll use an example from, I think our underrated podcast I talked about or episode I talked about, Mr. McGorham's Wonder Emporium, which was a movie I adore for a lot of reasons. And everyone just ripped it. And, uh, and that one is a little easier for me to be like, no, I get why people ripped it. But I don't get why I was so enamored by it. I can't fully articulate it. And I think this is what I, the final thought I wanted to say. Is that even in all that we've said and in all that we hope we understand and we hope that maybe we help you understand. Sometimes we're not, we're not arrogant, but I mean, we're kind of arrogant. We let, oh, hopefully sometimes there's a moment for you of like epiphany of like, oh, wow, that's a cool thing that Jake said or a cool thing that Chad said. But in all of that, there's still something mysterious that appeals really strongly to me about what makes a movie hit or work. And maybe it's the human mind or the human heart, you know? I mean, that's very uh, uh, ethereal or whatever. Mm -hmm. But so Atomic Blonde was a movie that came out last year that... I just, you know, love so, so much and have watched multiple times. And anytime I see the cover, I'm like, I need to watch Atomic Blonde right now. I will watch it right now. You know, like I just feel. And very few people liked Atomic Blonde. Some people appreciated what it did and stuff. And I don't know why. Like I, there are a lot of the reasons I think people would like it are the reasons people don't like it. 
I don't know what it is about that movie that that um, won me over. And I guess my final thought is, in the midst of all of this, the mystery of movies is still strong. Understanding cinematography, understanding production design, liking a good story, understanding good acting, realistic acting, um, uh, the way the camera moves, the way the music works, doesn't always explain the beauty or, or the... Uh, emotion of movies and that's a cool thing to me yeah. that'll never be fully it's always going to be personal in some ways um, and all these stories we told built up to, to some of those things that really hit for us and maybe won't hit for you kind of a cool thing any last cool. thoughts? no that was a great final note yeah so thank you this is a longer one I knew it would be um, <laughs> we have a bunch of episodes coming up that it, it may even be the next ones we're going to do we want to rank the movies of Jason Reitman I think that might be next probably I think so probably and then we want to rank the movies of Alfonso Cuaron which will uh, probably be after that and there's Christmas and stuff in here so we'll see we'll schedule the best we can in Thanksgiving uh, we want to do our favorite scores then we'll eventually and because of me I'm always behind we'll probably do our favorite movies of the year in like February that's fine uh, we'll do our memo to the academy which I borrowed completely from Siskel and Ebert which is like here hey don't forget about these great things and then once the Oscar nominations come out, we'll do our If We Pick the Oscars. And that'll probably take us to like February, March. There might be one other we can fit in there somewhere, but I'm not sure. I, I have ambition that before this year that we paid for, um, we can do our favorite movies of all time. Sweet, um, let's do it. That maybe even the last one we do on this cycle. and So that won't be for a while, but I've already started. I'm finally trying to pare start it down. Now, so you're not making switches like when we start recording. What are you, what are you, what are you implying, yeah. Jake? I've never done that. We do still take requests for yeah. topics. So. Yeah, we definitely take requests. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. That was probably one of our most uh, personal ones, probably. Absolutely. So hopefully some of it resonated with you. We'd love to hear some of your stories. So uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, bye.